I think we all came away feeling the same thing, that something awful did happen to that woman in that room. She feels like because she was poor and illiterate and a widow and an immigrant, that this man literally got away with this crime. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporter. Every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Brought to you by Hackensack Meridian Health. Visit our partner site, nbcnewyork.com slash healthu to help you on your health journey. Hackensack Meridian Health, life years ahead. It was a story that made international headlines, and now finally we're hearing from one of the persons who was front and center at it all. Hello everyone, I'm David Ushery, and this is our Debrief Podcast. You usually see me, hopefully, at 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. on News 4 New York, but on our podcast we try to go beyond the headlines and talk to our reporters of some of the stories they've done and get some of their insights. And we're happy to have our most popular, favorite reporter, Pat Vattle, our weekend Today in New York anchor, She's Superwoman. She wears a cape. Stop it, David. Pat. Now. Come on. This is it. This is it. I, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but now you've gone too far. We are so excited to have you. Your, your, your debut on our Debrief podcast. You're very kind. Thank you for having me. And you recently sat down with Nafi Diallo. Let's take our podcast listeners back to what happened. Sure. Well, you recall, I think most of us do in May of 2011, there's a very swanky hotel, upscale hotel in Midtown called the Sofitel Hotel, where, uh, which is where a lot of dignitary celebrities stay when they're in town. And uh, on the 14th of May, there was an incident there where police were called to the hotel. Which year was a this woman, back? This was 2011. 2011, okay. Uh, a housekeeper there who was assigned to the presidential suite, her supervisor reportedly found her in the hallway in a state of shock and weeping and said, what happened to you? What happened to you? And she said, are hotel guests allowed to do anything they want to you? This is what she reported to police and to her supervisor. And she said, what do you mean? She said, the, the man in the presidential suite just assaulted me. They called police. Police were summoned. They found physical evidence in the hotel, semen, and they went to JFK Airport, police went to JFK Airport and pulled Dominique Strauss-Kahn, who was then the head of the International Monetary Fund, extremely powerful uh, figure internationally, not just here. He had offices in Washington and, of course, abroad. Um, pulled him off a plane that was bound for Paris. He was on his way to Paris. This was, by the way, just before noon this allegedly happened. Um, and arrested him. It was very dramatic. You talk about cameras. Mm. Uh, and this gentleman was also in line for, uh, he was expected to become the next French president mm. and uh, was very much very popular in, in Europe. Pulled him off a plane, sent him to Rikers facing six counts of sexual assault. She claims that when she went in to clean the room, she didn't see anyone. She knocked, as they customarily do, and no one answered. She went in, and she said just after she stepped into the room, uh, she says that he stepped out wearing only a towel and began to w walked right up to her and began to grope her breasts. And she was in shock, and she said, please, sir, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my job. Uh, and he, she claims that he forced her to the floor uh, and forced her, her to perform oral sex twice. Uh, in the space of just a few minutes, um, and says she was hurt in the process and wrenched her arm. She said she's had s some surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. Dominique Strauss-Kahn uh, spent some time in Rikers, a few days in Rikers, and then was released on under house arrest, spent some time in a very expensive uh, 
townhouse in Midtown, I think a $50,000 a month townhouse. He was under house arrest. And then as the prosecution, the, the Manhattan DA pursued the case, um, they began, he hired a very, very, very high-profile, prominent defense lawyer, uh, criminal defense lawyer, Ben Brofman. Yeah. And um, of course, as this their job, they began trying to dig up background uh, right. material on her. And she had only she had come to this country in 2004 from Guinea, West Africa. Didn't speak English. She doesn't read or write uh, because girls in that country are not uh, allowed to be educated. Uh, so she spoke very limited English, uh, and she as the case progressed, she felt that she went from being a victim to a criminal. Maybe they say I'm a victim, but they never treat me as a victim. They treat me as a criminal. And because of some of the information that the, the defense attorneys and the prosecutors uh, culled from her background led them to believe that they couldn't put her in front of a jury because her credibility, her would, credibility be would be in question. And uh, they dropped the case and uh, dropped the charges against him. And that obviously sent everything into a tailspin. There was a civil case uh, shortly after they settled minutes before they went to case. So she never had her day in court. Mm. And she feels, and she wrote this book because she felt like people were, have a complete misinterpretation of who she is, a misrepresentation of who she is. You remember the headlines. Initially, they claimed uh, that she was prostituting herself. Uh, the, the headline screamed liar. The headline screamed prostitute. The headline screamed, um, you know, that this woman was trying to manipulate him and extort money from this very wealthy Frenchman. Call me even a hooker. A prostitute. Yeah. How they call me everything. I wanted people to know I'm not that woman. People call me those names and what the DA say about me. I'm not that person. And uh, so she's been quiet for eight long years, David. Eight I also years. remember the, 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 the press in France was so critical of the U.S. Uh, criminal justice system, the way they were kind of up in arms about how Strauss-Kahn was being treated, treated here. in their eyes. Yeah, because it, it's, it's very interesting. In, in France, from the research that I've done since I've presented the story in the research, sexual assault treated very differently in France, and there's a very high tolerance for this kind of behavior. As you know, uh, previous French presidents have had very open, and, and officials there have had very open relationships uh, outside of their marriages, and for the French kind of looked the other way, you know, and uh, when this happened here, uh, with Dominique Strauss-Kahn, of course, the, the French media and French public was initially taken aback, and how dare you? But subsequently, yeah, people started coming out of the, the virtual woodwork, with some, claims with some of allegations similar allegations. With his, yeah. with his past behavior. Correct, correct. Right. It was a French young French journalist who uh, claimed she'd been assaulted before this happened to Ms. Diallo, uh, and that she was discouraged by her own mother, by the way, who was also a member of the Socialist Party that Strauss-Kahn was very prominent in, uh, discouraged from going forward. And when she, she finally got the courage to do so after this case here in the United States, and uh, but apparently there was a statute of limitations in France, mm. and so they could not pursue the sexual assault charges, and they said there wasn't enough evidence to pursue the rape, the attempted rape case, because it had happened so long ago. Um, then he stood trial on a pimping charge, aggravated pimping. He was involved in a, a, a 
prostitution ring. He claimed he didn't know the women were for hire, but um, a, a very violent kind of sexual interlude had taken place and some people filed charges. Um, but the charge was for aggravated pimping. Mm. And uh, he was acquitted ultimately because he said he didn't know that they were for hire. So we fast forward now, <laughs> she decides to write a book. Yeah. Tell me how you came to get the interview and sit down with her, and then I want to hear your impressions. She was very emotional. It turned out, David, that we had a, uh, a mutual acquaintance I didn't even know we had. And uh, it took some doing um, to arrange it. We had to have a translator in the room because her English is still, it's, it's good, but it's still, there were some concepts that she mm -hmm. didn't understand. For example, the, the, one of the first things I asked her was, w were you finally, did you finally get empowered to come forward because of the Me Too movement? Uh, and I wrote it. I put wrote it on paper. I put the hashtag Me Too. She had to turn to our translator and then explain. And then she understood because she has seen uh, all these women recently coming forward. But she said this has been within her for a very long time, and that she felt she was so misrepresented in the press and and even by the Manhattan DA's office that she needed she needed to do this every single day. This never go away. But you know what now. I think I'm going to feel free after this. So we sat down. We went to a uh, Christian community church in, uh, in Brooklyn for this interview. And uh, she was very wary, I, I have to say, of me. You know, she doesn't know me. I, I think she was very concerned uh, how this would be represented. And I got to tell you, um, I had two cameras, photojournalists with me. And we, I think we all came away feeling the same thing, that something awful did happen to that woman in that room and that she did not want to be a part of it. She feels like because she was poor and illiterate and a widow and an immigrant that this man literally got away with this crime. That is her assertion. I'm a poor widow. Here is a rich man. They just want to make me look bad and let the guy go. Now, his lawyer, of course, will say that the, the sex was consensual. No, and you that, did try to reach out. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, to, his, to Khan? I, I, yeah, to, to him and his lawyer, right? Yeah, we did talk to his lawyer. Okay. We did talk to Brothman. There is a substantial difference between consensual rough sex that both parties agree to and rough sex where someone is required to submit against their free will and force is used to make them submit. One is a crime, one is not. I don't pass moral judgment on what uh, Dominic Strauss-Kahn did or did not like to do in the bedroom. It's really none of my business. The, the lawyer in the civil case did not want to talk to us because, and both the cases are sealed because he, uh, because he was acquitted. Pat, how did that impact her writing of a book if there was a settlement, a civil settlement? talk about it. She can't talk about no. the specifics of that. So this book is more of, of her life story. Her life story. And now, now there, you know, she does devote, toward the end of the book, mm -hmm. a, uh, a, a one chapter or a few pages to the incident. But the whole three quarters of this book is about her life, mm -hmm. growing up in that tiny village in Guinea, West Africa, and uh, her lifestyle. I mean, women in that country are raised to be submissive. She said, you know, and she was in such fear for the last eight years that these powerful people were still going to come after her for going after Khan. Uh, and, but she did not, she, all, she says that in her country, you can beat your wife in the street 
and nobody will bat an eye. She was married, uh, and her husband died. Uh, they had been married about four or five years when her husband died of some strange illness that she's not, she wasn't privy to. It's just a whole different lifestyle there. So when she came here, you know, all she wanted to do, she didn't bring, she had, they had two children, one died. She brought her daughter here eventually, but all she wanted to do was make a life and live not under someone's thumb, under someone's rule, under someone's, when you read the book and you read, it's like David, you know, this is, this is our history too. Mm -hmm. And you know, we could very well be living the same kind of existence. And mm -hmm. I'm certainly yeah. glad I'm in this country, right. which is why she came to this country, right. because she wanted some, some essence of freedom in her life. And uh, so she got here and was thrilled to have this job as a maid. She had worked uh, in a hair, African hair braiding shop, as many women do and immigrants do. She had worked in a restaurant. But this, when she got this job, making, I think, $45,000 a year, she was so proud of this work. She truly was. And so her first thought, she says, when she was attacked, she says, was, I don't want to lose my job. She didn't go right downstairs and report it. She said she didn't she felt like it was something she had done uh, initially and um, it was important to her and then she ends up in the harshest glare oh. of the media spotlight exactly and uh, that's why she eventually did hire a lawyer mm -hmm. because she felt like she was being victimized criminalized and in, in, in this case she became you know a victim of she says of the Manhattan DA uh, and so she hired Ken Thompson who has since passed away mm -hmm. um, to represent her because she did not know how to weave her way through the criminal justice system most of us don't right and we when we've grown up in it but um, so they represented her in both the criminal and the, and the civil case, and there's so much documentation. But now that the case is sealed, it really came to it really came down to David. She had a friend, um, a boyfriend, if you will, who was serving time in a prison in Arizona on a drug charge. She claims that she didn't know it was drugs. That he used to sell those um, counterfeit pocketbooks and stuff on the street, and she thought that's what he had gotten busted because he used to store them in her apartment. And um, she was on the phone with him. They were speaking in their native language. Fulani, and they were speaking, uh, they had a conversation. He's in a federal prison. They record the conversations. The Defense Department dug up that conversation and had it translated and claims that at some point in the conversation, she said to her friend, don't worry, this guy's got a lot of money. I know what I'm doing. This is what the defense translated uh, the, the, the statement to be. She had a boyfriend who is a drug dealer who is in prison, who she is on tape with, and the boyfriend is telling her to stay calm. Uh, Dominic Strauss-Kahn has a lot of money. You know, you can't just ignore those facts. Which was a lie. I was going through a lot, but I never think about money in my heart. I never said I will. I have never been able to get my hands on those tapes. Um, the prosecution wouldn't tell, the DA wouldn't tell us whether they got hired their independent translator, but she says she never says those words, said, said those words. Her lawyer subpoenaed the, the tapes. <clears throat> they never got their hands on them, and nor, nor did we. But I think that that's when the prosecutor really, that was kind of the last straw, when, when the prosecutor found out that information, there was some questionable funds in her bank account, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But she, she insisted throughout this that it's what happened that day that matters. If if I had, she said, what, so what my background, there's some strange thing, her application for asylum had some misrepresentations on it. She said, but it's not anything about what happened before that day. That's what counts. And I was assaulted, brutally assaulted in that room. And they never believed me. They were supposed to do is, you know, to work on what happened that day, why they want to question my life, my, my past. Once they thought her credibility was shot, they wouldn't even put her in front of a jury. It's a powerful interview. 
uh, encourage you to go to NBCNewYork.com to look at it. We also want you to know that if you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, there's a number for you to get help, the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Call 1-800-656-4673. It's available 24 hours every day. David, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We'll come back to the podcast, all right? Come back to the We'll be happy to. I'm your host, David Ushery. Thanks to our producers and editors, Jesse Edwards, Liam McBain, and Ben Berkowitz from the NBC New York digital team on The Debrief.